What am I to do? Welcome to Razor Branding Podcast with Jackie Russo. To learn more about how to improve your brand, visit brandrusso.com. Hi, this is Jackie Russo. Thanks so much for joining me with Razor Branding Podcast, the live video edition. And I use the word live kind of jokingly. We had a little technical difficulty at the beginning, so we're starting a minute late. I appreciate y'all sticking around. And I am delighted to welcome Monica Rougeau with Elevare to the show today. Monica, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Jackie. Good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to have you. So I was thinking back to how we first met, um, and I gave myself a little chuckle when I was texting you about the show, uh, because you were in my phone as Monica, and then in parentheses, Molly's friend. And that Molly would be Molly Daigle, who is a mutual friend of both of ours. Right. And I had the same thing for you. I had Jackie, and I misspelled your name (laughs) as Molly's friend. (laughs) Well, and misspelled, you spelled it the normal way, the right way, just, you know. Mine's not normal, so please don't ever give yourself a trouble about that. Um, and so I think that we must have become connected when y'all were neighbors. And so you were giving me information, keeping me updated because uh, she was unwell and you were updating me on that. And then since then, you and I have now become friendly. And I have loved following what you've been doing with Alivare, um and the work that we've done together at the SBDC. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what Elevare is and what you've been doing? Well, in a nutshell, Elevare is a leadership development company. I focus on forming servant leaders, and I do that in various modalities, um, you know, workshops, uh, speaking engagements, conferences, those sorts of things. But I really love the small groups, so I do a lot of the roundtables. So I'm currently facilitating the SBDC uh, small business roundtables. Um, I have another product line that I'm um, providing this type of service in a different demographic. And uh, I do the one-on-one coaching, which is really my jam. I love to be able to see people have those aha moments and find their own successes that they really didn't think that they could really aspire to. So that's kind of where we are or where we were, uh, continue to be. But things shifted a bit a few, a couple of months ago. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Just a touch. A little bit, right. So you've taken your roundtables online now, so people are able to continue with the work you've been doing with them. I have to imagine that the one-on-one sessions especially are going to become pertinent now because I think a number of people have figured out there may be in careers that they were loyal to that have not been loyal to them. And so those careers are going to shift So what are you advising people? How are you guiding them through this time? Well, I think it's an individual process in where they are. Um, There's a lot of time for reflection and people are kind of reanalyzing where they are in their lives right now and or having some conflict with that. Um, Are they really happy? Are they really fulfilled? And is this what they're supposed to be doing? I'm hearing that a lot. What am I supposed to be doing? So I think this has provided that opportunity to ask themselves those questions. And through the coaching process, we start unpacking that and going through this um, process of self-discovery in where their passions truly lie and are they able to align that with their current career track or do they maybe need to pivot their career track? It's just slightly, it doesn't have to be anything radical, but for them to be able to shift their perspective a little bit and seeing how their passions and um strengths really align with what they're doing currently. Right. You know, um, 
when I attended your vision board workshop a couple of months ago, that was in January, right? That no, that was in October. That was before. Was that in October? Yes. Okay. All right. You came to the very first one. Okay. So many months ago. Yeah. um, I remember clearly. uh, We talked about what 2020 was going to look like, and you had these all these supplies and materials for people to kind of visually display what the year would look like for them. I did I miss the stack of magazines that had a viral global pandemic? Was there a visual that I didn't see on the table? Okay. No, I think we missed that one. Um, but you know, that's the power of the vision board because I was actually um, having a conversation about that with someone else who had attended that workshop. And it's like, well, I'm just going to throw my vision board out the window. <laughs> and, you know, maybe maybe that was appropriate for that person because of where they were in their headspace when they created that vision board. But for me, I came back to mine and it made me dig deeper Um because it's not, well, life's going to stop happening, right? Um, just because this crisis is going on. No, life continues to happen. We continue to have our dreams. We continue to have babies birthed and people passing away and accidents happening. And, you know, all these things continue to happen. The purpose of the vision board is to keep you focused on that ultimate desire that you have for your life. You know, I think you make a great point. Um, I remember on my vision board, I kind of did it in columns. You know, I'm not a real visual person. I, I know people assume because I work at an ad agency that I must be, but I'm not. Um, and so it's very kind of fact. And over here, all the way to the right, was the column of things that I would love to have time for, but never do. Hmm. Let me tell you, I spent some time in that column in the past two months. Yeah. See, but if you didn't have that already kind of on the back of your mind or at least readily accessible, would you have really turned to that and done some of those things? No, not at all. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I love about it is I do think it's adaptable. Um, I think that uh, it's the vision of what I want my life to be. This shouldn't slow that down, right? This just should. Um, I think the, the phrase that has resonated with me a lot is uh, through crisis comes clarity. Right. right. Because it forces you to focus on what's really important and prioritizing your life appropriately. Right. Um, You know, where before you had so much space that you weren't feeling that pain enough to make sure that you found that clarity, that you were intentional in that process and choosing, right? Um, Where this forces you to have to do that. Right. So as you are guiding people through what is going to be some career defining changes, I think that they're going to have, what advice do you give to them? I mean, do they look in? Do they look out? Are there resources? Are there tests? Do I go go take a disc profile? What do I do? How do I start to assess my opportunities? I think the first thing is to stop and, and just be quiet because there's so much noise going on around this. And for me, I encourage people just get a pen and paper. It doesn't have to be anything formal and just start writing down the thoughts that come to your head as it relates to your career. What are the good things? What are the bad things? That whole, you know, pros and cons kind of thing. But also from the perspective of what are the areas that really get your emotions going, whether it's good or bad, because that's going to give you a clue into where your true passions lie. And your passions are that window into where your true purpose is. Right. Right. I want to give a little shout out to Jill Moe and Edna Turner, who are both listening and watching. Oh, hey Thanks, lady. y'all. I mean, Thank you. 
I love that your fan club is friends with me and I'm friends with them. And that's just <laughs> awesome. That's so cool. Um, so as you look at other businesses, whether they're local or regional or national that have had to do that, they've had to do that pandemic pivot. Um, which ones have you looked and thought, I like what they're doing. I think they, I like the direction they're heading. Anybody jump out at you? You feel like, oh, they've done a really good job of figuring out how to adjust to these new times. I think, you know, obviously the one that comes to the top of my head is my friend Ryan Cazares with Scott Eye Care. And I think he's going to be actually your guest on Friday. He is. So, uh, you know, he took a lick, you know, like with most of these providers, but he didn't let that stop him. He found creative ways to still serve his base, right? Um, it may not have been perfect, but he was making those efforts. And I think he's going to bounce back even higher than he was before. Right. You know, and it's funny, I met him for the first time at that vision boarding workshop. Really? That was the first time time you met him? I'd never met him face to face. I mean, I knew who he was, small Mm -hmm. town, uh, but that was the first time we ever got to spend quality time together. And so I owe you for that introduction. And I got, I'm glad because then I got to know him and now he's going to be on the show on Friday. Yeah. He's a great guy. Uh, Absolutely. So what are you feeling personally right now? I mean, do you feel optimistic about how we're all going to come through this? Are you still feeling trepidatious? I mean, how is this on your heart? Today, yeah. uh, which is a roller coaster ride, sure. but today I'm very optimistic, very hopeful. And I think it just comes with age and wisdom and, and riding out so many prior storms in your life, right? That we're going to get through this and we're going to learn some valuable lessons. And if we take them to heart and really dig deep, we're going to come back even stronger than we were before. No, that's good. That. Yeah. And I think so too. Um, when you couch, uh, couch people, when you counsel or coach people, um, do you find that optimism is one of the biggest things that you have to work toward helping people realize? Yes, because most of the time, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, they're going to come to me whenever they're feeling the pain pretty, pretty significantly. And they're feeling the doom and gloom. They're overwhelmed. Um, I use the term and not to be dismissive of them. It's like, I feel like I can't fight my way out, out of a paper bag right now. And these are smart, intelligent professionals. And they're like, why can't I do this? And so cause you're just so stuck in the weeds and you just need somebody to kind of pull that back a little bit so you can see that light. Um, but a lot of it is just giving them that hope that right. you're going to be okay. Let's take step one and just move them forward and build that momentum with them. Right. What do you say to yourself when you're in doubt? Like when you're having those moments and you feel stuck in the weeds, how do you coach yourself out of it? Well, and it's it's hard. It's hard to do it to yourself because I'm like, dang, I know all these questions that I'm supposed to be asking myself, but I don't want to answer them to myself. Right. Right. So I have my own coach and uh, it's funny because, you know, I'm kind of going in this, this rabbit hole of a spiral and Rochelle, my coach, will ask me a question like, Torn, I knew you were going to ask me that. Okay, let me answer it. So having that accountability partner helps. But I know I can feel myself. And, and I had shared this with you earlier at the beginning of um, COVID crisis. My youngest son had uh, a tragic accident where he is fine now, but it, it was pretty bad. We ended up in the trauma unit. And that just threw me into such a tailspin, Jackie. And I knew it. And I I felt like I couldn't do anything about it. 
So I gave myself the grace and the space to just be there. Like, forget about the business, forget about clients, forget about everything else. I'm going to be where I'm supposed to be, right, with my son and just making sure that he's okay. And um, I knew at some point, you know, once I realized, okay, you're, you're good, you're on the mend, I needed to get back to some semblance of reality outside of my living room with my son on the couch. So I started calling on those friends who I knew I could trust and start talking things through, sharing some of my concerns. And I knew that some of them were so irrational, but I needed to get it out of my head. And that's the biggest thing because so often we feel like we have to contain it. We have to be in control, right? Mm -hmm. And I could not control anything that was going on around me at that time. I mean, I I cleaned out my spice cabinet and alphabetized it for Christ's sake, you know, just because I had to have something to focus me, right? And have that sense of accomplishment. Um, And then step by step, day by day, I started pulling myself out. And that's where the whole coffee and COVID was birthed. And I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, But before we transition to that, I just want to stay on your your son just for a minute. Isn't most of parenting just a series of irrational emotions? I mean, really, from the moment you find out you're pregnant, isn't it just constantly trying to figure out how to keep them alive? Yes. Against their own best judgment sometimes? (laughs) Well, and he's a teenager. My youngest one, he's going to be 16 uh, in a couple of weeks. So, you know, mom is just a big worry wart and um, I overreact and and I tell them, I'm like, I just can't wait till you have children of your own. And I can say, okay, you see, now you understand why whenever I don't hear from you, I think you're dead in a ditch somewhere. Right, <laughs> right. Answer your phone. Um, he is a bit of a daredevil, though. He has put you through the paces over your years together. Yes, this was not his first um, life-threatening accident, unfortunately. Right. Um, about, what, seven years ago, he was almost killed in a golf cart accident. Uh, so, yeah. So we're, we're keeping him alive. Barely. Um, and he's going to be driving soon. He, he should be getting his driver's license, maybe, depending on the DMV. I said, you're going to have to wear a helmet when you're driving your vehicle. Right. right. Sorry. Absolutely. Yeah. Not just a safety <laughs> belt, but like a whole safety harness, <laughs> whole like the race car drivers wear. Yes. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So talk to me about coffee and COVID. Where did that idea come about? How did it evolve? What were your thoughts? Well, it was through conversations that, you know, clients and friends were calling me with their stuff and to talk them through their state of being overwhelmed. And in doing that, it was helping me to focus outwardly. And I wanted to help so badly, but I live in a rural area. I'm not close to Lafayette. And like, what can I do? And it was just some way to connect because we all need that human connection, that check-in, right? But it also served as a dual purpose for me to have a purpose for each day. Because remember, you know, I was booking conferences and whatnot, and all that just went away. And I wasn't sure where the next opportunity was going to be coming from. But I wanted to help. So it was a way to check in, but also to have a purpose for that day to get myself up and get dressed. Because I don't do well if I'm lounging around in my pajamas all day long. I'm going to spiral into that depression and that funk. I need to be productive. So I just committed to something that I felt that I could Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 830 and um, knew that it was something that was going to stretch me because I don't like being in front of the camera. Um, The other thing is that I'm normally the one who is put together, prepared and polished, scripted. 
And I purposely um, do not allow myself to script it out and be prepared. It's whatever is in my head or on my heart or whatever I feel is rolling around over the last couple of days. That's what I talk about. How are you doing with that discomfort? It was painful, so painful, but it's getting better. And like there was one morning. So my temperament is one that I'm very prepared and planned. I go by an agenda. I'm on time, you know, and there was one morning where my watch had stopped. And I was late and that just kind of threw me. And so I was babbling all over the place. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, th- this is real, right? This, this is Monica being completely authentic. And I think that connected with people um, because we have to show them as leaders because that's where I'm, the angle that I'm coming from is that they need to be able to relate to us as human beings. Mm-hmm. And through all this, they need to see how we self-regulate or adjust for ourselves. And in that example, it helps them and teaches them ways that they can course correct for themselves, if that makes sense. It makes perfect Uh, sense. So, yeah, you know, uh, I'm not a robot. And I think it's okay for people to see that. That authenticity, uh, that realism, to me, is one of the greatest gifts we're all being given right now. Um, It's very hard to fake who you are and what you're about in challenging times. Absolutely, because it's going to come out. And Mm -hmm. and I say that all the time. It's it's what's in here that's going to really come out during these crisis or challenging times. So make sure you're working on what's in here. Right. Right. Well, because nobody can help fix what's out here right now. No, the roots are the roots. That's why we have the dim lighting in here. So. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, because the only thing you can take care of right now is what's inside. What's right. outside is all natural. Um, Angie yeah, de Villiers yeah. says that when she prays for her children, especially when they first started driving, she'd envision them being wrapped in bubble wrap, God's bubble wrap of protection. I love that message. I just think that's beautiful. Oh, I love that. Thank right? you. So, but I do think that for your youngest, he needs both God's bubble wrap and physical bubble wrap. I think you should, you know, take both sides. Yeah. My sister actually... Yeah, my sister actually gave him a big old box of bubble wrap for Christmas last year. That is awesome. And that was before the accident this year. Yeah, exactly. That's crazy. (laughs) That is crazy. Um, So talk to me a little bit about how people can find Coffee and COVID, because if they want to be watching it and and, and participating, where do they go? How do they track you down? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Elevare's Facebook page, and I just do a live stream at 830 on Monday, Wednesday and Friday mornings. And that's 8.30 Central Time. Yes. Okay, yes. so if you're on the West Coast, you're going to have to get up really early. Uh, but if anywhere else, you should be fine. Uh, right. But I think that's great. And I think that people need those connections. And so I really appreciate that you're doing that. And I know the sacrifice that that takes. But I think that you're you're probably getting some pretty good feedback from people, I would imagine. What kind of comments are you hearing? It's been very affirming just to hear how people are connecting with whatever I'm speaking about that day. Mm-hmm. Um, it just that I'm feeling the same way, or I didn't realize that you would, you of all people would experience these things because you always seem so put together. Um, Or, you know, the comments, Monica, you always seem to be so in control or calm. And I, I do use that term that as leaders, especially in crisis, we have to be the calm in the chaos. But at the same time, I'm like, boo, 
if you knew what was going on in his head. So, you know, yes, we have to portray that, that calm and that hope, but we also have to find that source to replenish that for ourselves. And so I have my little circles and my safe spaces that I turn to, to make sure that my cup is filled back up. Right. So it's that, it's that dialogue. It's a conversation that's been happening. Right. Um, now, would it be safe for me to volunteer or guess that if we asked uh, people who live in your house, they don't see calm Monica all the time? Perhaps no. they see some changes in volume and emotion? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, I'm getting better over the years. I'm mellowing out over the years, Jackie. And of course, in the, the space of the work that I do is helpful. Sure. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of a control freak. And uh, my children would let you know that. My husband would let you know that. And um, they know whenever I get really quiet, that's when they need to worry. Yeah. Michael calls it the whisper voice. He says, just because Mm -hmm. you're whispering, I can still tell you're mad. (laughs) I'm like, yes, yes, you can. I'm not hiding it. It's very clear. (laughs) I'm being very intentional to control my responses right now. Exactly. Um, did you grow up in Acadiana? Where, where, tell me about the early days of Monica. I did. Oh, my gosh. So born and raised in Reshore, Louisiana, for people who do not know where that is because it's, it doesn't have a zip code. Um, we're between Eunice and Church Point in Acadia Parish. And it's known for two main things uh, from people from all over the world. One of them is the Acadian Baptist Center, which is a retreat center where Most of the local band camps during the summer are held and uh, faith-based retreats. So we have that, which I grew up in the Red House right next door. So I got to watch all the band camps and practices every summer. And the other is my church community of St. Edwards. We're known um, pretty well around the world for the little Cajun St. Charlene Reshore. And so I'm very involved with that. So that's where I grew up. I continue to live just down the street from there. Um, married my husband who was raised on the other main highway in Richard, um, but didn't really know him growing up. So um, I'm one of six children. My mom is a nurse or a retired nurse. My two sisters are nurses. And I think that's kind of what brought me to my initial career path in healthcare but I'm not a clinician. So I was always the odd one out who's not the clinician in the family or in the organization that I worked with. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so apparently um, Jill Mo says y'all are practically related. She said, hey, that's my people, Cormier's and Francoise Mauve. Um, we are related. Oh, I'm sure. If we if I get my dad in the maybe. room. Oh, maybe people. we are related. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, we could figure out a connection some kind of way. I thought Jill was just giving me some new word for a grandparent. Um, Jessica Harvas asks, how can I instill opportunities for leadership growth with our team when they're not physically here in the office? How do you keep the culture going? How do you keep the leadership connections when people are in 20 different locations? I don't think you have to physically be present. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing better than having that real physical human connection. But it's the simple things, and I've always said that. It's not about the big, grandiose gestures. It's the little things that you do day-to-day with consistency. So it's that little text message or email or phone call, voicemail, that has more substance behind it other than, hey, I'm just checking in. How's your day? It's, hey, you. Were, for me, it's you are on my heart today. How can I check in with you today? Tell me what's going right with you today. 
Tell me what you're struggling with today. How can I help you through that? So it's those little, what I call touch points throughout the days and the weeks that, in my opinion, matter most, um, where you're just basically coaching them, many coaching sessions through situations that they're dealing with. You know, I'm talking to clients, especially some out-of-market clients for big companies, and um, they're seeing some challenges with getting their employees back into high-rises because of the elevators. People don't want to ride in the elevators. They can't be six feet apart. The ventilation systems are um, keeping them. And so there's a push to let them work from home further. And some senior management who are not a part of the marketing team um, don't see the value in allowing people to stay home. They're very frustrated because they're not seeing the work happening. They feel like the work isn't happening. So what would you do for a company when you've got this internal rub of People need to be able to work from home, but managers don't want to let people work from home. How do you guide them through those challenges? I think it, it starts with the leadership from my perspective, because you have to really focus on what's best for your employees, for your people, right? <clears throat> because if that's the role that you're playing, you want to make sure that the decisions that you're making are in the best interest of your employees, first and foremost, right. bottom line. And if they're taken care of, then they're going to take care of your clients and your customers, right? So having that conversation with them about where their fears are, because some of them may be irrational, but some of them may be very rational. And coming to terms with what they are and how you can work around that or with that. And I think it is creating the the conversation to really show the value of people working from home, but you know, I'll admit, I'm kind of one of these old school people. I need to see what you're producing. So how do you do that? How do you make that compromise? And again, it comes back to those frequent touch points and not micromanaging, but what is the expectation? What's the output that we're looking for? And are you able to show me that? Are you struggling in a certain way? And how can I help you to get over that hurdle? So it's about a conversation with your people, not dictating to them. You know, you bring that up and and what resonates with me all the time is trust. I feel like because there's no relationship, there's no trust. So then there's all of these assumptions and fears. So I think you make a great point that if you can develop that relationship, then you can build that trust. I just think it's harder to do from afar. And so that's one of the challenges this new era is going to bring to us. Mm Yeah, it's just, uh, it's interesting. It's it's really interesting. You know, when I think back to young Monica, um, mm-hmm. so you're surrounded with healthcare practitioners and you've decided to venture off into another path. That's scary to do after you've had a full career. Uh, so how confident were you in taking that leap and what helped you feel better about making those choices to leave your real job? To leave uh, healthcare? Yeah. Gosh, that was probably the scariest thing I ever did, to be honest with you. Uh, But looking back at where I was in my personal and professional life, uh, growing personally, growing spiritually, um, making some great friends like Molly, and really reflecting on what was most important in life. Uh, You know, I had my own little internal crisis going on that year. So much was happening where... My grandmother was put on hospice and my mom was really struggling with those decisions. Um, My dear friend Molly was um, sick and and trying to be a support to her. Someone very close to us was 
tragically killed in an accident. All these things were happening. And demands that were being placed from that corporate career, knowing what it was going to look like, the more I started thinking about it, because they were doing some mergers and acquisitions and some structure changes in my territory was being expanded. And the way that it was being presented, it just wasn't sitting right with me. And in the past, I would have rolled with it. And I can remember just coming home one day, I was sitting on the floor in my foyer and my husband walks in and, and I was just like down. He's like, what's going on? I'm like, I just don't want to do it anymore. And he said, well, just quit. And Jackie, it's like that thought never even crossed my mind. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? I don't quit. Monica doesn't quit, right? And so I'm like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to think about it. And whenever I got up the next morning, I just had this sense of peace. I'm like, I'm done. I'm hanging up my hat. And I don't know what the next step is. And I'm not going to think about it because it was September. I said, I'm going to wait until after the first of the year and figure it out. Right. And um, so it was that just to make the decision was really, really scary because I had no idea what we were going to do as far as our finances and our household and, you know, just what I would do with my life. And um, after I made the decision and committed to it, I'm like, it's going to be okay. I don't know what it looks like, but it's going to be okay. Right. Have you ever read The Dip by Seth Godin? No, I haven't. I like Seth Godin, but I don't think I have. It, it's a quick happen. read. Put it on your list. Um, okay. So side note, um, I have uh, forced my children to join a book club this summer uh, for professional and personal development books. They, they right. are very good about reading fun books, mm -hmm. but um, I, I'm ready to prepare them for some of the next stages of development. This seems like a good time. So as they're finishing their schoolwork, they're now um, auto-enrolled into this book club. And so they've got to read some books to maintain their allowance and, and yeah. I, don't know, I guess, chance to live in our house. I'm not really <laughs> sure how deep the threats will go. Yeah. Uh, but Jordan's first book uh, yesterday was The Dip. And so she had to talk about it last night at dinner. And what you were just saying really struck me because the book is about how to determine when it's just a little dip and you have to power through it and how to determine when it's a deep enough dip that you need to change direction. And so I think that there's a lot to that to say, okay, let me assess if this is just a hiccup or if this is a, a need to change paths. And we all go through those. And I think a lot of times people look at them as failures, but like what you just illustrated, it was an opportunity for greatness. I didn't see it at that time, uh, but being able to look back and reflect on that period, absolutely the best decision I ever made. And I do not regret it. You know, all those pains that I went through, there were some really amazing things throughout my career, but there were some really difficult, painful things um, that were not very healthy. So, but I've learned from that. And that's the beauty is that I can put that pain and frustration aside now and see it as something beautiful that I've learned from and grown from to make me who I am today that I can offer so much more value to the people that I serve. Right. How do you continue to encourage ongoing professional development with yourself, with your team, with the people you work with, um, aside from the small um, round tables that you do, which I think those small groups are really important. What other things do you really do to say, hey, try this or have you considered that? Well, in the one-on-one -on -one coaching, it's so customized because it's based on 
the individual and their temperament styles and the certain uh, situations that they find themselves in currently and what they want to aspire to. So it's just pulling from, you know, all these almost 30 years of experience and what I've seen work in different people, different temperaments. So we offer suggestions, but at the same time, it's getting them to learn how to think critically and deeply and finding those solutions within themselves. Um, I, I'm always one, it's just the mindset that I have that we have to continue to grow in, in all aspects of our, of our lives, whether it's professionally, personally, spiritually, physically, we should not be stagnant because we're going to fall behind. And, and maybe that's just part of my competitive nature. I don't want to be the one on the back end, right? Right. So, But being a lifelong learner is achievable. And so I think when we can encourage that lifelong learning, that's how we continue to grow and, and develop ourselves. So yeah. Absolutely. And I've always been that type of person. I have a very curious mind. I want to understand people. I want to know the bigger picture. And so that's always been a thing of mine. My, my very first job in home care so many years ago, uh, I started out as a little entry-level receptionist. So we were doing data entry on an electric typewriter, if that tells Ooh. you anything. That was, yeah, that was a long time ago. And there were spots in my day where I didn't have work to do. And I'm like, I need to be productive. What am I doing? And I'm like, give me that regulation manual. I'm going to read that because I don't know anything about healthcare or home care specifically. Can I take that manual home? And they thought I was nuts, Jackie. They're like, you're going to take home a regulation manual to read? I think you're yeah. nuts, Monica. Nobody wants to read that. <laughs> no, I don't want to read them these days. But I was curious. I wanted to learn what are the things that we're allowed to do and not allowed to do? And how does this whole industry work? Right. And that was my mindset going into it. It was very dry read, honestly. Uh -huh. but, um, at least I had that inside of the bigger picture. And that's how my brain works. Right. And I think, though, the people that I see who do look for new, um, who want change, who like challenge, who want to be a lifelong learner, they're the ones who continue to grow. And so I think that when people look and stay, I'm not happy, I feel stagnant, well, it's because you're not growing. But you have to, nobody can hand growth to you, you have to go do it. Right. It, it, it doesn't happen to you, it happens through you. You have yes. to do it yourself. Amen. And, um, you know, I say that all the time as far as, you know, I'm not going to sit here and feel sorry for myself. Take that back. I do. I do sit there and feel sorry for myself some days. Uh, I use the analogy that I'm going to curl up in the corner in the fetal position and lick my wounds for a little bit. That is perfectly fine, but I'm not going to live there. Right. So pull yourself up in whatever aspect you need to do. And sometimes it requires asking for help, outside help to give you that hand up and just keep moving in that positive direction. Right. Uh, because, yeah, it, it's not a healthy place to be whenever you're stagnant or if you're stagnant, you're falling behind. Right. Well, I think what you just touched on is really valuable for people because we all have the curl up in the corner days. Everybody, oh, wow. it's human nature. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the, the realization is for people that, oh, wait, I'm not the only one. And then what can I do to not stay in the corner? And so that's the thing. And I have seen in the past few years, and, and tell me what you're seeing, but I feel like I've seen a shift where it's okay to say, I need help. It's okay to say, I see somebody, I take something, um, I've identified this as a challenge. And so I think as we shift how we view mental health, the priority of it and the commonplace of it, then it's going to become easier for people to seek the help that they really need.
Absolutely. And I do believe that all of this is putting a spotlight on mental health and diminishing that taboo that's kind of around it. Um, because I get, and again, I think there's some generational beliefs too. Sure. Um, because I was that person that, you know, I'm not crazy. I don't need to see a counselor. Why am I going to see a counselor? That's going to show that I'm weak, right? And it doesn't mean that at all. It means that you are strong because you acknowledge, you're brave enough to acknowledge where you are struggling and doing something about it to correct it. Right. So kind of learned that lesson a long time ago. And I think that with the conversations that are going on today because of COVID and the, the quarantine and the mental health aspects around it, it's giving us permission to say it's okay. Right. Um, it's okay to not be perfect. It's well, okay to have a bad day. And I think telehealth, which really has emerged as one of the heroes of this time, has made it even easier to seek help. Because yeah. I think that intimidation of going to an office and laying on the couch, you know, all those stereotypes are gone mm-hmm. now because it's as easy as this. Mm-hmm. Well, and two things come to mind whenever I think of telehealth. First of all, you know, coming from that healthcare background, Telehealth has been around for decades, but there was always a resistance to it, at least from a payment perspective, mm-hmm. uh, as not seeing it as being real skills, mm-hmm. <laughs> where now it's being embraced. So thank you for, uh, you know, allowing that to happen, uh, that it's that access to care, right? Um, so I think that's a beautiful thing that's coming out of this crisis. The other thing is what I'm finding is just with my own clients is people are willing to go deeper in these types of modalities of sessions rather than in a physical face-to-face session. Um, you would think that it would feel a little bit more impersonal. However, in the space of what I do, and I would think the same would be true for counselors, that sometimes there's something kind of liberating about being able to just open yourself up more deeply in these types of sessions when you're not physically in front of that other person. Right. Uh, Jill Mo makes a great point. She says, I wonder if we call it emotional health instead of mental health, if it would be easier for people to discuss it. And I, I mean, really, we're encouraged overwhelmingly to make sure that we do mammograms every year, um, that we go see our uh, OBGYN or our internist or whatever for regular checkups for our physical health. Why aren't we demanded and encouraged and pushed by our healthcare and advertising for our emotional health or mental health, whichever one you want to call it? I, I mean, it's I don't know if I me. have a, an, an answer to that. And I don't know if it's one, one answer But, you know, there's always been that stigma associated with mental illness. Right. And, you know, that's the people who are really off the rails. Right. Um, But it's more than that. And and I think as we are um, immersing ourselves more in this conversation, we're realizing it's not just about the extreme schizophrenic or bipolar. It's about depression. Depression is the number one diagnosis as far as mental health is concerned. And there are so many people who are struggling with it, but are afraid to say anything about it because of the stigma that goes along with it. I struggle with depression. I realize that I've been struggling with depression since I was a child. Um, But now being able to 
recognize it and not have that stigma attached to it, that I am getting the help that I need. And I have learned the adaptive techniques to pull me out of that rabbit hole whenever I see it starting to spiral. You know, that's a good thing, right? And right. wouldn't you want everybody to have those opportunities? Well, and I think you just touched on it. It's to me, the stigma should be on the people who don't seek help. The stigma shouldn't be on the ones who get help because they're the ones who are the healthiest. They've figured out, oh, I have a problem. Let me go solve it. Let mm -hmm. me go work through it. Let me go address it. It's the people who stay in the bad space and continue to spiral that aren't getting the help, you know? Right. And I think that being able to talk about it more openly helps. Um, I, I use the term our brokenness, you know, just from a, a, a spiritual side that we're all broken in some way and how it's manifesting in, in our outward displays. And I think for me, working on healing my brokenness, that's attractive in some ways. And, you know, not to put the spotlight on me, but it's in the way that we respond, knowing that old Monica would have been flying off the rails and fussing and, you know, trying to control everything where there's a softness, there's a kindness coming forth. And that's a sign of my healing from all the work that I've done in the mental health space, emotional health space. And so I think it piques people's interest whenever they see that, like, why aren't you so overwhelmed? Or why aren't you like so stressed out over X, Y, or Z? And, and I can honestly say, yes, it does bother me and I am affected by it but not at those extreme levels that they once were in the past. Right, right. What values would you say that you live by the most? Honesty. Mm -hmm. um, I don't like liars. Um, I, and I often say brutal honesty. I just tell me the truth. Even if you think it's going to hurt, I want to know. Um, being authentic. And I used to say that, but still wearing a mask. Mm -hmm. uh, but I truly believe that now and try every day to be that authentic Monica to the outside world and to my inside world. Um, intentionality. Um, that's, that's a big one for me is mm -hmm. that we have to be very intentional in our relationships, especially the ones that really matter most um, to let them know that they mean something more to you than just that surface level connection. Right. Oh, that's a good one. Have you, uh, you have you read Radical Candor? No, I haven't. Don't add that to your list. Good. I'm going to have to add that. That is all about being, and I don't think that they use the word brutal, but that's what they mean. <laughs> it's all about being brutally honest. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah. how to do that, though, within the right framework. Right. Being honest, but kind at the same time. You don't have Absolutely. to be a jerk about it. Exactly. Exactly. How would you like to be remembered? As someone who cared enough to show people what they could be and help them with their companion to grow to that. Nice. That's beautiful. Thank you. I like that. What's your guilty pleasure? Oh, my gosh. Bluebell ice cream. Oh, which flavor? Yeah. I'm a vanilla girl. Okay. Golden yeah. vanilla, regular vanilla? Homemade vanilla. Ah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. And my husband knows, and I'm like, bless his heart, Jackie. He comes in, he's like, I found a sale on Bluebell ice cream, and he'll have like two or three gallons. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> no. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, one of the things Michelle Ezel said, you know, Doritos and Boudin has always been her her sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she said that that's the one thing that he has, Sean has permission to come in, close the bag and take it away because she can't stop. Oh, There's no, no satiary okay. gland. She just keeps going. If I know it's there, it's like it's calling my name. Right, right. right. From the freezer, it's Monica. Right. <laughs> right. No, it's bad. it's bad. That's how I am about chocolate. It's bad. It's bad. What's the best mistake you ever made? Gosh. You know, I don't know that I ever call them mistakes because there's well, always something to learn. Um, okay, the one that's coming to the top of my mind was years ago um, in a prior career, um, very toxic leadership above me. Um, I was submitting a report and I had a deadline and I was nearing the deadline. And so I just submitted the report, not at the level that I would have liked. And I got, no, 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 back up. I didn't submit it on time. I was a little bit late because I wanted to make sure it was right. And I got chewed up and spit out that, and that mantra comes to me all the time is that it's better to be 95% accurate on time than 100% accurate too late. And so it was a mistake, but man, what a life lesson. Right, right. You know, interesting, Marcel Fontenot, uh, I interviewed her last week, and she mm-hmm. talked about a similar situation of turning in her first story. And yeah. she was so proud of it and so excited and watched her producer just rip it in half. Um, and he I- said, Go do it again. This time, do it the right way. And so there are lessons that come from those horribly defeating moments. But yeah. if you learn something, it's okay because you get something from it. Oh, Probably yeah. Probably better than the just report itself, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. What advice would you give to this year's graduates? Now, you don't have a senior this year, do you? No, not this okay. year. My right. son's a sophomore. Um, I would just say just take a step. Don't vegetate. Don't um, let this situation paralyze you because you see that so often, not just in graduates, but just people in general when life throws them a curveball or they're so overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. And it ends up paralyzing them. You're not going to get it right. You know, whatever field you go into with college or work, you're likely going to change it several times through the course of your lifetime. Right. Just take the next step. Um, that would be my thing. It doesn't matter. Just move forward. Right. No, I think that'd be good. What's your pettiest pet peeve? When people in my household (laughs) leave things out of place after I've just finished, like, aggressively cleaning my house. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, like, do you aggressively clean or do they accuse you of aggressively cleaning? No, that's my term. Okay. I say I'm, I'm a, cause I put myself as a timeline, you know, like I, I got three hours to power clean this house. Right. So, um, I get after it on Saturday mornings, but it's like, everything's just so clean and smells good and tidy. And then the boys will come in from outside from cutting the grass or whatnot. And like, put a glass on the counter that's going to leave the ring or, you know, the grass from their boots after I've just mopped the floor. Jackie, that, that unnerves me, you know, oh. and I'm, I'm just practice the pause, Monica. 
No, they're outside doing good. <laughs> yeah, you appreciate that they just cut the grass, right. even though the grass is now inside the clean house. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Brandon Jordan just said, great interview. Petty pet peeves, always the best. It's one of my favorites because I love the answers. And I'm like, oh, yeah, check. I've got that one. Oh, yeah, check. I've got that one. <laughs> Uh, for darn sure. What historical event would you most like to have attended? Oh, my goodness. I guess the um, the opening of the 9-11 um, Memorial. Mm. I have not been to New York. Um, Since? Ever. I've never oh, been really? to New York. Other than flying through. Right. Um, so that's a bucket list place for me. And, you know, you see the pictures and all that. But 9-11 was you know, such a huge impact. And seeing all the live televised events around um, the opening of that memorial, I, I remember just sitting there for days, just watching all the live programming. So Right, right. Uh, um, I was there um, in October of 01. And so oh, wow. uh, it was a previously scheduled trip. Um, mm -hmm. And as soon as airfare was, you know, able, you know, airlines were cleared to fly again. My trip was like one of the next weeks. And um, it was still smoldering. You could still smell it. Wow. And people were making pilgrimage. So that was my first trip back. And I've been many, many times because I speak at a lot of conferences there. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, I took each of the kids when they turned 13 on a trip there. And so on each of those trips, we would go to 9-11 and talk about it because I only had uh, a one and a half year old and a six month old when it happened and then two born after it happened. So we've had to talk about how it's going. Apparently we're scheduling a trip right now and Molly Daigle is going to come with us. We'll yeah. work on that offline after this is over. <laughs> um, and so I've watched the museum evolve um, because for a while it was just in a little small corner shop uh, right by the site. And then it moved into a bigger facility and then it moved into a bigger facility. And, and now it's the, the big thing that it is right now. And so going through with my last 13 year old three years ago uh, and hearing her ask questions about the artifacts uh, because the things that fell from the building that were in somewhat of a solid condition have been archived. And so she's looking at a floppy disk, you know, that looks something like this. Right. And she says, what is that? And I said, well, it goes into a computer. And she goes, I, I, I said like a CD or a jump drive. You know, this was the first iteration of that. And she goes, oh, it's really big. How much stuff can you store on it? And I was like, probably like seven sheets of paper <laughs> I mean, compared to now, um, a, a, a typewriter, a, a voicemail machine, you know, all of those pieces of technology that are outdated. And so it's interesting to me just going through it, the heavy emotional toll and loss of life um, and emotional connection that we all have with that tragedy is balanced by this um, historical moment in time and how far we've changed. You know, it's got the big bag cell phones. So I think, you know, it, it's really, a, it's a fascinating place to go. Well, and really I, is. I gravitate to those types of places that really demonstrate our history well. Mm -hmm. um, so like the uh, Holocaust Museum in DC, mm. I, I cry the first mm -hmm. time I stepped foot in that place. And mm -hmm. it was just so powerful. And like, we can't forget these things. Right, right. Um, I had the opportunity to go with a Louisiana Honor Air trip as a, a, a helper for a World War II vet to go to the World War II Museum um, and, and uh, 
tribute. And so they could see, you know, what had been done in their honor. Um, anytime you can go to D.C., I think it's just beautiful just to see our nation's history. Absolutely. Um, oh, it's just fascinating. I love it. So we are about to move into the lightning round. Okay. But before we do, I have one last question. Um, what question do you wish I'd asked and what would the answer have been? Um, top of my head, do you miss Molly? Oh, and what would the answer be? Absolutely. I'm every sure day. you do. I'm sure you do. Well, I'm going to facilitate this trip to New York. And so then y'all are going to get to spend a whole bunch of time together. Awesome. Uh, I'll serve as tour guide. I'll do basically <laughs> my 13 year old trip. I'll take you on that. Oh, um, so great. you'll see all the sights and sounds that my kids saw at 13. Now they were very impressed by the tall buildings. So I need some ooing and awing from y'all too. I will okay. definitely ooh and awe. You know, we're okay, from Green Shore, Louisiana. It's flat land over here, right? <laughs> You'll be impressed. All right. So we're going to do our lightning round now. This is first word that pops into your hat. This is just your favorites. Favorite place on earth. Home. Favorite movie you can't turn off. Hope Floats. Oh, that's a good one. Isn't it a good one? It is a really good one. That's, that's like my go-to cry one whenever I need a good cry. <laughs> yeah. You can put that right there with Steel Magnolias. I mean, those are yeah. classics. Uh, favorite TV show. Gosh, I don't really watch TV. <clears throat> but the one that I did watch a lot was um, This Is Us. Oh, classic. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's so beautiful. Uh, speaking of 9-11, you know, you kind of get your moments there. Um, right. Favorite book? Too many. Um, the Alchemist. Great choice. Talk about personal and professional development. I mean, wow. Oh, uh-huh. Favorite podcast? Yours. Thanks. I feel like people have to say that, though. So what's your okay, other favorite so podcast? One is uh, my dear friends, Christy Fredu and Kayla Stansberry have Can I Get an Amen? Oh, okay. I haven't listened to that one. I'm going to put that on my list. Uh, favorite car? Um, I would, should say the one that I'm driving now, but actually my ultimate favorite car was my Buick Enclave. Uh-huh. It's almost never the one people are driving now, I find, because yeah. it's the memories that are tied to it. A favorite festival? Gosh, I'm not a festival person. I don't okay. like the really big crowds. All so right. I know I should say, you know, Festival International, but. You can say uh, whichever one you want. There's no judgment. <laughs> um, all right. Last card. Questions okay. from the actor's studio. Uh, favorite word? Favorite word? Mm-hmm. I should say leadership, but it's love. Love is good. I thought you might also say intentional. That would have worked also. Um, least favorite word. Hmm. No. Okay. <laughs> what turns you on? Seeing other people's light bulbs go off. You know what I mean? I do. That is a great one. What turns you off? rude people what sound or noise do you love the most my husband's voice oh that's sweet uh what sound or noise do you hate my kids arguing mm. it's like nails on a chalkboard it uh, is yeah favorite curse word um my kids would tell you shit 
<laughs> I try not to say it, but yeah, in those moments. Sometimes it's the only word that works. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. I, I would think it's very parallel counseling. Mm -hmm. I can see that. Which one would you not like to do? My mom and my sisters are going to kill me, but nursing, I'm not a nurse. I, Look. I admire them to the hilt, but that is not my area of giftedness. I hear you. Um, so when you arrive at the pearly gates, what do you hope God says? Welcome home, my good and faithful servant. Excellent answer. Monica, thank you. Thank you for this hour. Thank you for your honesty and your leadership and your insight. Um, we really appreciate it. Thank you, Jackie. I appreciate you so much. Oh, our pleasure. And to everyone watching and spending this hour with us, thank you for taking the time and providing such great questions and comments and insights. Uh, please be sure to tune in next time when we have Ryan with us and he's going to talk about Scott Eye Care and what they've had to do to pandemic and pivot and how they're still seeing patients and how they're helping people as well as multiple other things that Ryan does, uh, whether it's music or musical instruments. Uh, I think you'll enjoy it. So be sure to tune in and thank you all. See you next time.